0: Out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate.
1: Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of the indie band Reserve, indeed, who are on Sombrero Records, and also they've had a compilation that's out... On Fire Station Records, that came out in 2013, that one is titled Beneath the London Sky. So you can find their stuff, but they are very small. But lovely. And uh, Sombrero Records, by the way, were also on the same, the, the same label that uh, Bob and also the Sidleys were on. So they're classic stuff. Um, so this is with uh, one of the main members, Talquin McLeod. So after some several minutes of casual chat, quite a lot in fact, um, which is all edited out, we got down to that very interesting point that was the formative musical years and those moments when you realised music was going to change your life. Paul Quinn, take it away.
0: I think, I mean, when I, you know, I I obviously heard music from as far back as I can remember, but in terms of actually hearing something and and it really, you know, lighting a flame, it really sort of making a connection and making me think, my God, this is so exciting. Um, It's, I mean, it it happened with glam rock for me, really. I mean, particularly with Bowie, Um, Bowie, T-Rex, Slade, Sweet all of those bands um but yeah Bowie in, in particular I think my mum uh, my sister playing um uh Life on Mars to me was sort of like kind of oh right <laughs> so this, well, is... this is interesting so so I uh, and, and I, I I did actually um cuz she also she bought me uh the Solid Gold Easy Action the single by, by T-Rex um and then I went out and bought uh, Aladdin's Sane in 73. Um, And so, yeah, that was kind of that. And then I sort of very quickly acquired uh, you know, I got some sort of birthday money, I think, and, and sort of quickly acquired about four other Bowie albums as well. And that, and, and that that was it. I was just obsessed with Bowie, really.
1: Oh, God, that's so funny, because cause I suppose, you know, I can vaguely remember, you know, listening to Radio 2 with my mum. I suppose well, she had it on and I would just be listening to Jimmy Young in the afternoon with his kind of what's the recipe today, Jimmy? And that kind of soft pop stuff that they probably played then. But it was kind of top of the pops and sweet and um gary glitter let's face it it was, kind of, yeah. <laughs> it was kind of gary glitter really but then alice cooper and schools out was big but luckily my first single was space oddity wow. um, by David bowie which b-side had changes and velvet goldmine on yeah. which i thought god b-sides are brilliant but um <laughs> it was it was kind of downhill ever since really and changes <laughs> one was the first album so i was like eh, thank god it wasn't gary glitter so <laughs> fantastically <laughs> relieved but then buying records in those days I I mean, I, I got brought up in a, in a village and so, this, you know, there was no record shop in the, the next town, which was tiny or, or yeah, any of the towns. I mean, you'd go into some sort of hardware shop that sold, to, you know, probably, you know, I don't know, stuff that hardware shops sell mm-hmm. like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Washing machines of of some you know f- you know fridges and there there'd be a small area where there'd be some records that you'd sort of you know flick through and buy buy a few bits and pieces but it wasn't a record shop in the smallest town it that was,
0: that was that was a really funny phenomenon wasn't it I mean I had the same same thing I, I I I grew up in I was I was born in Scotland but um uh, from quite young I uh, grew up in Berkshire and. Um, so, yeah, again, I, I also lived in a, a village, and so yeah, the <laughs> near, nearest nearest record shop was a kind of 10-mile uh, uh, bus ride away. Yes. Uh, so mainly I'd be buying my records. In did have a WH Smith, so, uh, yeah, I remember it was two, £2.18 for an album. That was, right. Uh, yeah.
1: I seem I to remember 70p, and that was, like, for a single, and that seemed to take yeah, ages, yeah. but you had to try and save up this money, which exactly. was like quite tricky yeah but there was no but but I mean, but,
0: but, yeah. but, but, but what you're saying about hardware shops because there was also there was a hardware shop in the town and yeah upstairs like kind of you walk past all the sort of like on the lawn mowers and all and, and the garden hoses and stuff and upstairs there was a little record section which was really bizarre and it had booths as well um i remember i bought What's that? I, oh, I bought a copy of Led Zeppelin 2 from there. Yeah. Right, um, yes. but it, but And and, and also a, a couple of a couple of electric guitars and, and, and a bass. It was obviously like kind of I mean, this is it was an independent uh, hardware shop that I think had been in the town for, you know, probably 80, 90 years in the same family. But clearly it, in the 1960s, they kind of thought, oh, what's happening? You know. These these that uh, there are y- these young people wanting to buy other stuff, and they thought, well, we better better diversify. And bizarrely <laughs> enough, decided they go and get a a, a record section and, and sell some electric guitars. Very strange. God, oh, that, that is yeah, but yeah. wonderful, you know.
1: Absolutely. So then, after. I mean, when did you start to think, actually, I might m- might sort of veer towards being in a band or when did, you know, because I was actually too young for punk. Let's face it, I was, I was, you know, I don't know how old, but it was, it was, you know, I was not there with the punk. And frankly, punk didn't come to East Anglia at all for a long time. And then, you know, so it was kind of, I was very much an 80s indie kid at that, you know, yeah, the early 80s. So what, what was your sort of late 70s and then early 80s?
0: Well, the thing I mean, the the thing is, because the journey uh, from from sort of glam rock instead of going sort of glam rock into punk, because my best mate was three years older than me who lived over the road. um, I sort of went into into prog was uh, was sort of like kind of where where I found myself. So, you know, uh, listening to uh, stuff by, you know, Focus and uh, Yes, ELP and uh, and all this sort of stuff. and starting to play guitar around them which is something to be honest it would have been so much you know it would have been so so much less soul destroying to have to have got into punk because at least i would have been able to play the songs then or i had some chance of playing them whereas you know you're listening to sort of a 25 minute long uh song with all these weird time signatures in and like kind of you think i don't really even know what the instruments are doing let alone being able to sit down and work out how to play this anyway um I, I mean I you know in terms of actually playing an instrument yes I mean that came I sort of always had sort of some kind of instruments around since I was from about sort of 9 10 and sort of started seriously playing the guitar about 12 I suppose
1: well wow, that's impressive
0: uh, well it's just you know it 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 was it was that whole that whole thing of just new music from, really from, from that sort of like kind of Bowie glam rock sort of pang, like light going on in my head it was just like, it, music was just the most exciting thing, it was yes. amazing Yeah, um,
1: well it was interesting because I had a brother who was seven years older than me yeah. and he was into prog rock, that was his period and that was his thing, so that Focus album at the Rainbow and then yes Genesis, Wishbone Ash, Barkley James Hobbs and the solo work of Rick Wakeman were things that I consumed with great enthusiasm yeah. and, um, and because he banned me from his room and not to play them, I would always wait until he went out, and then I would sneak into his room and play these records with great enthusiasm because it was kind of a curious thing. I was kind of in my early teens, and it was like, and the Roger Dean posters, and everything was a gate gatefold sleeve, wasn't it, let's face it. It was yeah. us um, complicated bits of paper that would fall out or, you know. Um, uh, yeah, Rick Wakeman's journey to the centre of the earth had a bit of oh, yeah. foil that you had to... To to sort of I don't know make into a cylinder. And then you look through it, and it was all very sort of I don't know peculiar. But I, I think it was better if you were on drugs, probably. But I wasn't. So, um, but yeah. So so it's funny that, that that whole world was you know is there in my DNA. Actually, I can't I can't budge it at all. Really, so, uh, <laughs> but I don't you know obviously you don't go and listen to topographic oceans just for the fun of it, do you really? In your later years, but yeah, yes, I know, Rick Wakeman. You know, the the Henry VIII album and all those, King Arthur, which is classic, actually. But then, yes, so 79, we had Thatcher. That was a big one, wasn't it? And then the Conservative Party started to ramp it up. Yeah. And that was a bit of a game changer in a lot of ways because there was suddenly that feeling of... There was somebody who was in power because the '70s were a bit hit and miss politically, weren't they? There was all over the place. No one knew what they were doing. And then Thatcher came in. Then you know we had the Falkland War crisis, and then huge amount of unemployment for young people. So how were you navigating that
0: period? Well, to be honest, as, as I mean, as a kind of unwitting beneficiary, really, of all that was uh, bad about. Uh, conservative economic policy in the 1980s I think I mean the fact you know because clearly I mean one of the byproducts of um, the decision to use all the money from North Sea Oil to make a record amount of people unemployed and pay them benefit was that um, you know a lot of musicians artists and so forth were able to uh, sign on claim housing benefit and get on with doing the thing that they really wanted to do without having to um, sort of like kind of factor in uh, going to work around it. Uh, So uh, for a lot of the 80s, that's 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 what I did.
1: Yeah, well, it was interesting because <laughs> you did have the, you know the whole unemployment, um, jo- you know, job seekers allowance and the the famous enterprise allowance scheme, which gave yep. people if you had a thousand pound in your account, you could then become a self employed anything, couldn't you? Let's face it. It did.
0: I I, I I I spent a year not producing a fanzine on the enterprise allowance scheme. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, although yeah, no. Uh, in fairness, I did produce one, one, um, one edition. Did you? It was pretty, it was, yeah, it was. It was fairly piss poor. It was called bloody Blah, um, but yeah, ex- exactly. It was. It was possible to sort of like navigate your way through all of these different sort of uh, schemes, all of these different ruses that the uh, Tories had to massage the unemployment figures, and uh, yeah, just be, be, be in a band, and uh, uh, so yeah, uh, yeah. It kind because of worked for me. I mean, I, I mean, it was bizarre. I mean, like for a you know. For a government who were sort of... you know, cutting art subsidy. They unwittingly went and subsidised a hell of a lot of art.
1: They did. A lot of indie bands. But because then sort of you had that, you know, punk, then post punk with a lot of those scratchy bands, a lot of them who were on sort of probably quite hard drugs as well. Um, from the music they played, I was thinking of, you know, yes, we know them. But then you had, you know, then you had those bands like Orange Juice, which were hugely influential and, you know, there was Echo and the Bunny Men and Julian Cope, and then you had the Smiths, 83, and there's suddenly indie pop, I think, is really sort of being born in that moment where yeah. there was definitely a five year period. Between you know eighty three to eighty seven, where indie pop was kind of was kind of king, you know. Okay, there was Trevor Horn and the huge chart bound success, well, and all the k- other people. K- king,
0: but, king in a in a in a kind of quite small and self contained. Very yes, I, in I a. I, think, it, I mean, I, th- I you know, I, let's not kid ourselves that it was a sort of huge. Uh, thing because I don't I don't think it was really I mean it was you know it was a it was a it was a minor thing yes this, you know? but but
1: suddenly there was this. Kind of, all not quite a movement, but there was a lot of people who could just go right. That's it. The indie kind of scene. You had Morrissey. You had the, everything but the girl. You had the June Brides. You know the Wolf hands, Yeah, yeah, no. You know, suddenly there was a lot of bands. There was a lot of kind of labels from Glass Records to the Pink Label to Creation Records. You know, there was all those bands like the Jasmine minx and the Orchids and yeah. I mean, it was just the pastels. Bristol was sort of kicking, you know, kicking it off a bit as well. So there was definitely a bit of a vibe and you know at that stage you also had those gatekeepers didn't you you had the john peel show who would be giving people a spin who had yeah. made one sort of interesting single and that would get sometimes a session which was big but then there was also the music papers who were a huge circulation you know from the enemy to the melody melody maker bit of sounds and record mirror and then you had you know every town almost had an indie alternative night didn't they you know like norwich had the uh uh the art center you know which you could you know they have three bands on for a couple of quid and and off you go and and then you look back and you think my god they are those bands are really good and yet you know yes you could see each one for a pound really couldn't you so so it kind of helped kind of alongside alongside this sort of unemployment world it did help facilitate those kind of periods of people being able to focus much more on making music
0: well, i suppose you're right i mean i mean the you know that there were lots of things which meant that it was quite you know if if you formed a band it was comparatively straightforward to get gigs to uh potentially make a record and you know potentially get radio plays so yeah i mean I, I think i think that's yeah i think that's true yeah
1: yes then <laughs> sorry, i'm just waffling away here but then when did you think right that's it i'm going to start a band and and your your sort of moment happened
0: well i'd i'd been in bands uh, since sort of 1979 um but i suppose it was 85 that i first kind of thought about uh actually put, putting my own band together yeah uh, I mean I'd, I'd, I'd played uh, other bands I would played in I'd, I'd sort of like mainly played bass I mean I, I, bass is kind of my, my main instrument really but um, I this was the first band I kind of thought okay I'll play guitar and sing in it and, and actually it'll be my project rather than somebody else's
1: had you relocated by the way
0: yeah, I've been up in London since 1982. So, uh, had you yeah.
1: done the student trip as well, or were you?
0: No, no, I hadn't. No, I, 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 I didn't didn't go to college. Um, so, yeah. Um, so you
1: you thought I'm going to leave Scotland and hit London and 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 hope something's going to happen?
0: No, i i I'd, I'd, I'd been I'd been to I'd been in Berkshire in in, in between that, but yeah. I, and to be honest, I mean, if you if you're sort of like kind of growing up uh sort of 50 miles down the m4 really it's it's a no-brainer everyone like kind of you know kind of goes right well i'm gonna go to london because there's nothing (laughs) happening here um so yeah so i i moved up and um so yeah in 1985 i started writing some songs with a view to putting a band together um and then really just began you know look, looking looking for for people i mean i was kind of doing doing this in, in tandem with with um, johnny johnson who was looking to put the Sidlers together because we'd uh, met in uh, 1984 when we were both w- uh, working for a, a community theater company uh, that was on the um, uh which scheme was that employment training i think yeah. right uh so yeah so we were we were sort of devising and running uh theatre workshops in sort of schools probation hostels and stuff like that um anyway so yeah uh so she was sort of very keen on getting a band together so i kind of thought well yeah uh, that sounds like a good idea so yeah uh we kind of started looking looking for people in, in various ways and also at that time she was um i helped her record some demos of her songs as well um, yes which actually got released uh some of those by uh on an album by fire station uh, a couple of years ago um that that includes the the demos uh real to real demos that i, I did with johnny
1: right Blimey, the Sidleys. Yeah. They were such a great band. John Peel loved them.
0: Mm, you know, he did, absolutely.
1: He was really... So was that... Did you... I mean, I mean, it's difficult because now we're looking back at it. But at the time, did it feel like a great adventure that you were on this kind of mission to... Apart from doing your sort of theatre workshops and those interests and schemes, thinking actually it's going to be the music that's going to be the one thing that we're going to stick with?
0: Oh, I mean, I, I was, you know... It was always the always you know wanted to be in bands and, and play music. I mean that that was abs- absolutely you know the rest of the stu- rest of the stuff was really there to kind of facilitate that. So um, yeah, once I sort of got it in my head, okay, I'm you know gonna to put my own band together rather than playing in other people's bands. Um, yeah, just sort of like kind of started. I mean, I mean it t- it took took a long time to find a a workable lineup lineup. In fairness, but at the same time, the advantage of that was i was sort of like writing more songs so i had more sort of material uh that we could we could work on um but the first functioning um yeah first fully functioning lineup of reserve uh came about in about august of 19 august 1986 is that right? August 1986. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, and that was with um, a guy called Ian Gregg on guitar, Phil Powell on drums and uh, Simon Armstrong on bass. Simon. So, yes. Simon, so so that's Simon from Bob. Um, so we uh, we played our first gig uh, above a pub just uh, just down the road from King's Cross supporting the Wishing Stones and that would have been in September 86. Um, so I'd met, I mean, th- these 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 people I'd sort of, ass- I'd, I think I'd, all three of those I had met at gigs. Ian, I certainly met at a micro Disney gig and just went up to him, thought he looked interesting. I mean, this is the thing that, I mean, Johnny and I had sort of, decided that um because we were both going to a lot of gigs at the time that uh you know okay we're putting notices up advertising for musicians like kind of in the rough trade shop and uh, ads in the end in the NME and stuff but actually we thought not a bad idea if you saw someone who you thought looked interesting a gig go up and see if they played anything because yes. uh, invariably they did <laughs> uh so yeah Ian uh I'm met at a micro disney gig i can't remember where i met phil but simon uh i met at a 1000 violins gig in brixton the white horse in brixton so you know I, i just went up to him and said like you know i'm do you, do you play bass? And he went, yeah. And I went, "All oh, right. do you want to be in my band? My God, that was like uh, Darren
1: Bryan, wasn't it? Jesus. Yeah. That yeah. was quite random. <laughs> well, you just see someone, you
0: sort of think, think they've got a good, you know. They look like a bass some, player. They, they've got something about them. It's like, you know, you might as well ask. Yes. Um,
1: God, that's very important. I mean, did you, I mean, because Ian goes on to form... The James Dean Driving he Experience, does. doesn't he? That's which, right. which is one of those classic indie bands, and Johnny Johnson yeah. goes in to the Sidleys, and again they do an amazing amount of work. And actually, though you've got no, con- oh yes, and then Bob as well, which is yeah. you know, so there's it's quite a fertile period of creativity in in that kind of world, isn't it? So it's quite, it's quite extraordinary what was going on. And I, and there was probably lots of other bands that you didn't quite bump into. who were there, but it was interesting because like, you know, bands like, you know, micro Disney, obviously they kind of make it in a bit of a a slightly bigger league, but then, you know, 1000 violins do produce an amazing amount of fantastic work. And then
0: The, the the thing is though, that, I mean, I was, you know, I'd be going to maybe two or three gigs a week, um, and so you know inevitably you are you're bumping into the same people all all the time you see you're seeing the same people and your friends with the people are in the bands as well and and yeah i mean it is from the from that from that point of view there was some kind of a sense of a scene in heavy inverted commas uh, i think i mean I, i i sort of the whole kind of putting everything together in one pot and saying you know this was a particular genre this was a kind of thing i'm i'm sort of slightly suspicious of that because i think quite a lot of the bands around at that time who are sort of lumped together didn't necessarily have i mean some some of them clearly have a lot musically in common but others don't really have a lot in common i think and and sort of kind of just get 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 th- thrown into that cause they were just Playing at the time and being on on the same bill with other bands and stuff, but uh, yeah, but, yeah. I but guess... no, I mean, I, I, I mean, you know, it it was. It was a socially very sort of like kind of vibrant and fun thing going on, anyway. Yeah,
1: and also at that age, I mean, it's the same with you know, for any sixteen to I don't know twenty year old. I mean, that the music of that period is going to stick with you. I remember people like David Bowie and Lemmy would always say Little Richard when they were asked, you know, who their favorite artist was. Mm. I mean, they just you know, and and I always remember Lemmy saying, "Well, the music that you listen to, whether you know, like he was, you know, Buddy Holly." Eddie Cochran, you know Elvis, etc. You know that's the you're, nothing's going to replace that excitement because that you're only at that age once in your life, <laughs> and that's the music that you consume with such passion and such seriousness. And then you know, and that generation with the Beatles and hearing that first stuff is is gonna, is never going to change, is it? Even though you might hear something amazing twenty years later. You're not going to be that that age anymore, so I think I think that does play a big thing. And and for me, when I was a sort of that indie kid, I, all the excitement of the Smiths at that period, and and the enjoyment of the next record coming out, and the next single, and and seeing what they were doing, as well as all the other bands, you know, it was kind of exciting at that, at that point. And then you get to one gets to an age where you're thinking. I'm not bothered about their next album. You know, you shouldn't really admit this, but you think I've kind of, you know, I now, you know, I'm sort of being distracted with other things in life. So I think, you know, we do have those moments when, when sort of music is kind of everything, and going to the gig, you spend all day getting kind of like excited by it, and. Thinking, oh, I must play that record one more time just in case, just to get in the mood, you know. So, um, and now you just want to go to a gig and sit down somewhere and get. Oh, I hope it, I hope it doesn't go on beyond half nine. I'd want to get home soon. You know? That's true. Right. <laughs> it's a bit yeah. different when you're young, um, but anyway, yeah. So, so when you got your lineup together, did it feel yeah. like okay? This is this this feels good, and we're creating something that is kind of sounding quite interesting
0: well kind of i, I mean that that 1st lineup was very very short-lived because as you mentioned it in uh left very soon after that and to form the james dean driving experience um and so that meant that the first recording that we did which was down at, at the bob uh studio down in in somerset um we uh Hold on there's a cat shouting at the window I just need to go and let her in I'll yes. I'll, I'll, I'll pick up again at the beginning of the answer again yes don't don't back. mess with the cat
1: <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice. You can you can you can relax now. Knowing the cat scene.
0: And we're back. So yeah. <laughs> um, so no. So that that um that we went went down and uh, the first recording that we did was at the uh, Bob Studio down in Somerset. But Ian had gone and left about a week before that, so in fact, that was just me. So I, because the original lineup of the band, I'd just been singing, I, I, like live. I, I I wasn't playing guitar or anything, because um, I thought it'd be, you know, I was more interested in being a a front man and like I'm not having any Uh But that swiftly got um, cast to one side. So I played guitar on the uh, the first recordings we did and that was with Phil on drums and uh, Simon on bass but then Phil went and joined Ian in the James Dean driving experience shortly after that uh, at that point Richard from Bob came in and started playing drums so in fact i mean the my the first sort of like a kind of stable lineup gigging lineup well and look recording lineup that i had was me playing guitar and singing bob uh, Simon from Bob, playing bass, and Richard from Bob on drums, um, which was great. I mean, you know, because I, I mean, I hung out a lot with them anyway, and they were really good mates. So we had a we had a great time, and and it was a really good lineup because obviously, I mean, they you know they're they're great musicians, and uh, so that was fab. Um, but inevitably, uh, you know, as things with bob sort of kind of got got busier and and they became uh more successful they kind of said look you know we can't really uh, devote time to playing with you as well so but i mean they were so good about it because they they sort of like kind of said you know we won't we won't leave until you found replacements for us which was really good um so first of all i got um uh jonathan sim in on drums and then i managed to find um uh jason ellis bass player and michael harris guitarist uh and so that that was uh, gosh when was that assembled about 19 beginning of 1988 and so um yeah and that, and that was the lineup that recorded the um uh, the ep for sombrero yes and sombrero so so so, 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 you know so so i mean the the lineup went through various and and that's you know there were other people coming in and out at various points as well but that was yeah that's about the size of it yes
1: and how did you manage to disc or how did they discover you from sombrero records
0: uh fairly straightforward in as much as um we i mean i knew i was i knew um David Payne, who ran Sombrero Records, and he was also putting on uh a night at uh Portland at the top of uh Great Portland Street in London called Cool uh Cool Trout Basement. Uh obviously sort of connected to his trout fishing in Leighton Stone uh fanzine. Yes. Um so yeah, so so I can't c I mean it, again it's it's because sort of There was always this sort of very close connection between Bob, the Sidleys, and Reserve. Uh, We, you know, we played on on bills together and stuff like that, and we kind of had, you know, we we were we were socially uh, very close as well. Um, So really, the whole thing with both. Sidley's and Bob going to Sombrero it was sort of like kind of fairly inevitable that we would as well because it was you know sort of keeping yeah. it in the family really.
1: <laughs> <laughs> to us indie kids it would have just looked like you were probably living in some either interesting squat or communal house together just kind of spending <laughs> all day you know sort of being cool writing stuff and then recording in the evening and doing a few dates. Did the band do many not so much like tours but you know like gigs were you sort of a gigging band at all?
0: We We were, yeah, I mean, we didn't you know we we didn't gig as much as um as much as like Bob did. I mean, to be perfectly honest, a lot of that had to do with the fact that um that whole business back then of like kind of getting gigs i e you would sort of like kind of scour through sort of find venues, get on the phone to whoever put on gigs at the venue sort of like kind of say, blah, 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 I am so and so. Then like kind of, you know, stick a cassette in the tape to them, uh in the sticker cassette in the post to them. Um and to be honest, I just hated doing all that kind of stuff. So I didn't do as much of it as I might have done. I mean I always thought, you know, we might have gone on got on a bit better if we'd actually had someone if we managed to find someone to manage us a bit and to sort of do all that sort of stuff because I really that's the side of being in a band that I really really dislike yeah well uh, I think
1: I think it's really tricky actually I think to because it's like another you know another skill or another mindset and you're kind of trying to switch from one thing you know creating music and writing it to then sort of being a bit of a hustler it's like you can do one or the other really Vaguely you know, well, but to try and mix it and you know, think, right? I'm now hustling. It's like God, it's quite hard actually.
0: Yeah, so you know, so so I mean, what it meant was we played. I mean, we played quite a lot of gigs in London because, you know, through going to lots and lots of gigs, I knew a lot of the people who put gigs on. We were sort of, you know, so uh, there was the relationship there. So we we you know we we played played in quite a lot of places in London. We played outside of London here and there, but you know, not as much. Generally, quite quite often it was, you know, we've managed to sort of prevail on like kind of Bob or the Sidleys to give us a sports slot somewhere and we come come out of town and, and, and play with them there. But, um yeah. Yes. yeah.
1: So when you, you got that, the the single two, full well, track EP, isn't it really? Um yeah. Two beats, two heartbeats in a hole.
0: Two hearts beat in a hole. Yeah. Two
1: heartbeats.
0: <laughs> two hearts yeah, yeah. Yes,
1: I know. That's can, the one I can get it wrong. Um, then God, it's like John Peel, isn't it? Then, then what happens to the band after that?
0: Okay, so that was uh, that came out in June 1988, and we then went and um, we recorded uh, some demos for a follow up single um, later on in the summer, and or um, was it later? Anyway, we, record, we recorded uh, some demos potentially for a uh, follow-up single. Touted, I mean, some, Sombrero had sort of like kind of finished by the, by that stage, so there wasn't that wasn't an option bringing out a record, another single with them. So we did tout it around some other labels, but there wasn't really any interest. Um, and so you know, we carried on. Gigging, gigging around uh, but th- I mean I, I moved down to Brighton at the end of 1989 um, played I think we played a couple of gigs sort of like early 1990 but to be honest you know that 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 was it that was kind of over by then really
1: you yes know? and because I mean Bob and uh, the Sidleys both got a bit of kind of John Peel action did did that never quite happen for you
0: well we got I mean he did play uh I think yeah he played uh the sun slid off uh, he played the sun slid down behind the tower off of the EP which was fantastic hooray job done peel played us Yeah. Um, uh but no I mean we we didn't do any any peel sessions so yeah you know it kind of it didn't it didn't happen so much but then again to be perfectly honest I mean as I kind of Intimated, I mean, I just did not really do a lot of work in terms of um pushing the band forward as as I might have done because I just couldn't be asked, really.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's kind of hard, and also it's quite interesting. I didn't hadn't sort of appreciated some of this at the time, but sort of have now. Um, I think most bands have a sort of a bit of a five year narrative, you know, where you know it's quite hard work and there isn't a huge amount of money in it either, and then also the the you know the scene oh yeah that was the other thing wasn't it the scene kind of changed in about 87 a hey, the smith broke up <laughs> okay fast forward that but then there's you know ecstasy comes along and then it is that kind of the next generation are looking for that the happy monday stone roses you know and soup dragons vibe you know that that certainly is what the music papers are getting very excited by and then you did have the north london scene with people like you know my bloody valentine and silverfish and um you know the faith healers the bit of that gazing with people like lush i suppose though they're not really gazing. but there was definitely a bit of a shift in in the sort of what what people were sort of really looking for and i think that kind of finished quite a few bands off who just felt like actually no one really cares about us now, do they? You know, we've must all well just pack up from, from life. So that that kind of can I dunno, influence people and their enthusiasm. I didn't know. Did that did that sort of come into your kind of sphere? Because obviously you were going into the nineties and we'd had not only the dance scene and the whole ecstasy world, but we had Seattle as well with this sort of world of Nirvana as well. So that, that kind of also made people wonder, well, actually, I'm not going to make a record like that either.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think it was a particularly conscious reaction to anything that was going on in the wider world, to be honest. It was more to do with just what was happening in my life at the time. And as I say, like kind of circumstances, uh, pointed me in the direction of moving out of London and moving down to Brighton and obviously if you're living 60 miles away from the rest of your band then you know and you haven't got that much money to sort of like kind of get back up to London then uh, you can't the writing's on the wall to be perfectly honest I mean I kind of you know I mean I had hoped that if and when the band did come to an end it would be in a more sort of like kind of okay that's it line in the sand but uh, inevitably as these things go it's sort of just um fizzled out <laughs> fizzled, yes there, there was no you know, yeah. yes
1: no huge moment no musical differences just like
0: having said that we, we did um we did reform for one gig in uh in 2013 uh because fire station records in berlin uh released a compilation cd of uh well, the stuff that was on the EP, the stuff that was on the flexi, because of course there was the uh, the two-track flexi that um, came out in 1987 uh, with a track by us and a track by the Sidleys that was given away by uh, with trout fishing uh, in Leightonstone. That was one of the Shalala uh, flexes. Um, so that, and then a whole and all various um, demos that we did in the sessions that we recorded at Bob's studios down in uh, in Somerset uh, so yeah that all came out on this uh on this CD uh, which is called beneath the London sky yes uh, 22 tracks yeah yeah it's, it's value for money I'd tell you I know uh,
1: it must be quite nice because I know actually I spoke to the guitarist from the James Dean driving experience Dave and he just said like the one thing he'd love is one day have a collect you know have it kind of Put together as a collection, you know, with some nice sleeve notes and a few fo- photographs, because at the moment there's nothing really tangible there. And I think the Sidleys have had theirs. And I know Bob have been sort of having records re reissued and uh, re-released, haven't they? So it's quite nice that you have a definite, you know, there's no more in the archive, is there?
0: Well, no, and and, and I mean to, to to be perfectly honest, I mean you know it's astonishing that anyone's remotely interested. I mean that that's that's the thing that gets me. I mean, like you know, this is stuff that happened between sort of thirty and thirty-five years ago, and it's amazing that anyone actually gives a toss. But I'm very glad they do, <laughs> uh, yourself included. But yeah, so so when that was released in 2013, um, I said to the uh, to Uwe and. Um, uh, Olaf over in Berlin, you know. Uh, hey, I mean, you know, if if you like, I'll come over and uh, and I'll sit in a bar and bash out some of the songs on an acoustic guitar if you, if, if you like, you know, to to have a little uh, album launch party. Yes. And they said, well, look, you know, we're doing, uh, we've got one of our, uh, you know, annual pop fest Berlin's happening. How about coming and playing that? And I said, well, if they're doing that, I shall get in touch with the rest of the band and see if they want to get involved and they did which was fantastic so me and michael and jason and jonathan um went over to well first of all went and um got together here in brighton and uh, went into a rehearsal room and uh, bashed through some songs and that seemed to work and then we went over to berlin popped into a rehearsal room there just to polish things up and then later on went down the road to the venue and uh, and played a set there which was uh, fantastic very nice. A very nice sort of uh, very satisfying postscript to the uh, to the reserve career, I think. Absolutely.
1: Very. No, it's it's always nice when you can have a, the narrative. You think, oh, yeah, quite satisfied with that. We can definitely sort of feel job done, really. You know, and it's well, nice. also
0: quite quite apart from anything else. It just reminded me of just what really really nice guys they were and just what a joy it was being in a band with them really you know
1: <laughs> yes and to catch up and say god you know
0: yeah no it's good it's good i mean it's fantastic you know 30 years on and they were still lovely none of them was an asshole, so that's great
1: <laughs> <laughs> well no it's good i mean did you i mean did your life continue in the world that is slightly connected in some vague way to to music
0: well, I, I mean, I've never stopped playing music. I've, I've, have carried on throughout, and you know, uh, recording stuff. Um, so, I mean, I've, I've been recording and writing stuff um, all the way through in uh, sort of when MySpace happened. Do you remember that MySpace? It seems like a long time ago. <laughs> it does seem like um, a long time, doesn't it? But yeah, I mean that provided a really great platform for the stuff that I was recording then, and through that I sort of got uh, a couple of EPs uh, released and then an album released. These were all under the uh, put these out under the name the, the Atom Mixer Reservation. Um, but yeah, I bought, did an album called Cow Language, which uh, you know was quite I was quite pleased with. That came out in twenty ten, and. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I, I, I took a, a I wasn't in bands for quite a long time, but then I sort of started playing with bands again and doing live stuff uh, in 2009 and nine, have been in bands constantly since then. I mean, I mean, up to sort of four at a time and uh, um, yeah, playing, playing a lot, obviously not gigging very much at the moment, as you can imagine, Yeah. Uh, but also carrying on recording loads of stuff. I've I've been doing a lot of synth stuff over the last couple of years actually. Uh but uh, yeah, yeah, I I've ne- never never stopped making music and uh, and uh <laughs> intend to carry on.
1: Yes. And so look, if you were able to sort of tell your an 18-year-old self, you know, just a few words of wisdom that you've picked up over the decades, what what would you say, you know, if you go, oh, by the way, just to say, you know, just some sort of top tips, a few bullet points.
0: Uh, well, I think the first one is uh, you know uh, you're quite right not to pay any attention to your mum when she says it's a waste of time playing your guitar.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um,
0: oh God, what would I say to my eighteen? Well, you know, I, I mean, to be honest, there, I mean, there 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 have been moments. Uh, I I mean, I think my 18-year-old self would be absolutely delighted to know that I was still playing music 40 years later uh, and sitting in a room with, like, you know, eight synths, ten basses, five guitars. Yes, (laughs) I know. (laughs) Just basically... With all this gear that I you know could not have believed that i'd uh, you know could not even dream of owning when i was when I was that age so uh, yeah yeah you know i i think um uh i th- i think in short I'd have just said don't worry it's going to be all right
1: yes uh, well that that's fantastic I know. and also,
0: also, also i mean i mean in in terms of sort of um following a sort of sonic path i mean for the last thirty years i've i've worked as a uh Producer for the BBC as well. I've been uh, producing speech programmes on uh, Radio 4, Radio 3. So, you know, uh, I'm, yeah, yeah, it's. Uh it's all audio, man. <laughs> it's
1: all, all about the audio. Well, look, well, this has been fantastic. Well, thank you ever so much for giving me the time for this. This has been really nice. I'm sure it's a bit random when someone goes, Do you want to do an interview about your band from the eighties? As
0: yeah. as I say, I'm you know, I'm I'm surprised and delighted that anyone should be interested. So, you know, I mean I because mean, ultimately the, the the thing is, I mean, and and you you'll you'll understand this totally. I mean, it's like you know, you obviously love music music's very important to you music's very very important to me and and you know I can think of sort of like kind of bands and records that I've that have, you know really just made me feel fantastic and you know the idea that anything that I might have done uh, has had some kind of an impact on someone else is just it's just a a tremendous thing and quite humbling and and i'm really really pleased it's nice to give something back you know
1: well yes absolutely and it's yeah i mean it, as um i think it was john waters once said the producer for john Peel said if he if john Peel ever reached puberty we'd been we'd be in danger and i think in a way you know it kind of does it still kind of makes you very excited just you know going my god what's this what's this you know i
0: I still get a huge buzz out of it. i mean like kind of discovering something new hearing something i haven't heard before and just like kind of going oh my god this is amazing yeah
1: It does yeah. happen, doesn't it? But this yeah. is good. Well look, thank you ever so much. This is really appreciate this. And uh yeah, and I'll and I'll, can i can always send you a link and you can always put it on your page if you if you want right. to. But um yeah, it's been it's been
0: fantastic. So well, it's lovely speaking to you, David. And and um and, and so what 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 are you what do you reckon you're gonna cut this down to?
1: Well, I do several things because um bizarrely there's there's a few people who really love listening to the in, like listening to the interview because they think, Oh yeah Yes, that was really interesting. And then I do a radio bit where, you know, you have to sort of take out quite a bit, which is... Actually, it's quite a lot of work, and you don't get the essence. But what I find bizarrely, this is this really There are people around the world who really like listen to the interviews, and they. And bizarrely, my biggest fan is Alan McGee. He li- <laughs> he gets in touch virtually every day to say, "Oh yeah, I just listened to so-and-so. That was really oh, nice." And and he's really and because he was like part of that Creation Records and Very having much that so, yeah, in well. London. The the room was it the living room or the room at the yeah, some some little club that he ran. And so, he, you know, I just realised that people actually in this day and age do like to hear kind of an, the, the kind of development of, of how a band got together and what happened. So, you know, I, I kind of use it in a few different ways, actually, because yeah. it, it just kind of makes people, you know, I never put anything out, which is like, oh, my God, that's a bit libelous. But um, <laughs> And that's never really, I mean, there's only been, there's been one record, I don't know, there's probably two that I've never put out because I think actually that might be a bit weird tricky. not No, not weird, but a bit, you know, like, yeah, we both, we kind of both agreed afterwards that it might not be the best thing at the moment, you know, <laughs> but it was a very good story, and uh, you think, yeah, but, every, but like I said, you know, every other interview is just like the story of a band, you know, there's nothing... Difficult, but I suppose I think too when,
0: contentious. Yeah, no one's no one's no one's going to come suing. I think when
1: something's a bit, you know, when you know there's a lot more at stake and there's a bit more money and there's a bit more drugs that have happened, and then bands, you know, counter things
0: go really horribly. Well, you know, I mean, I mean, to, to be to be honest, I mean, that's that's the that's the thing. I mean, I I I would say that you know, I mean, from when I was a teenager, I mean, I absolutely dreamt of like, kind of just being in a band, being in a band, being a professional musician, making that my life. That was what I'd done, you know, and that's just, you know, that's what I wanted to do. And looking back, it's just, I'm actually really glad in retrospect that I didn't, because the fact is I love making music and it's never, it's never been in a position where like kind of, I've got to do this because this is how I'm gonna make some money. Yeah. And like kind of, you know, and like kind of, oh God, this is the last thing I feel like doing. I feel shit. I feel drained. I feel, you know, I've been touring around shitty places for like kind of months on end and that kind of you know, or you know, I'm being screwed over by by these horrible management types or whatever. All these, you know, the but but I've got to do this because this is how I this is how I'm gonna pay my mortgage or, you know, whatever. Yes. And to, to, to be in a position where you can do something just because you love doing it, I, th- I think it's great. So, you know, I'm yeah. very happy very happy in, in that respect that I am just an enthusiastic amateur. You know? Yeah, well,
1: I think there's a few bands that, you know, probably were, they were probably more like on the Sarah record label deal where they... They kind of mean in, not in, yeah. They probably enjoyed the experience, though the dynamics sometimes within the bands didn't didn't always end well. But their their kind of experience in the business kind of side of it didn't make them think God we are absolutely shafted there, didn't we? You know it's like, you know whereas actually yeah a lot of them are, are kind of happily still making music in their own way that they just enjoy making music as yeah. Yeah, as they did when they were younger without it being like. Yeah, we got absolutely, you know, someone knew they were screwing us over and they completely screwed us over. And then we all fell out and then we all had sort of issues with each other. So, it wasn't a I,
0: I, I mean, I mean, I, lo- I love, you know, those stories are fantastic if you're sort of like kind of watching a documentary or reading a book about them. But my God, it's like kind of I'm glad they didn't happen to me.
1: <laughs> and that is the end of the interview with... Torquin McLeod thank you ever so much for giving me the time for that that was um, with the band Reserve who were on Sombrero Records as I said at the beginning the same label that Bob and the Sidleys were on and probably other bands as well which I can't remember but um, a big thank you for giving me the time for that interview this has been David Eastall the C86 show if you want to contact me For some random reason, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 show. Keep it positive. And also, these have all been archived on Spotify, iTunes and Podbean. Have a great week.